0: my cause, and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithful, faithless with loathing, Mm. for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts? Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your love. All your words are true. All your righteousness, righteous laws are eternal.
1: Good deal.
0: It looked like it ended. After it
1: did. Break. It looked like it ended, like it but, it ended five, but it didn't. It just kept going on. All right, before we do anything else, we'll read. It is the 17th today. Let's see what we have here. He was a powerful emperor who showed he could be humble before God. The great bronze statue of the Greek goddess Serapis had been worshipped for generations. Faithful worshippers now watched in fear as the soldiers of Theodosius raised heavy hammers against the giant metal effigy standing in the pagan temple in Alexandria. At the first blow, the spectators fell upon their faces in fear of the divine wrath of Serapis, but no lightning fell fell upon the troops of the Christian Emperor Theodosius I. No sound of rage and thunder filled the temple. Instead, as the hammers tore great holes in the Battered bronze, a swarm of frightened rats poured out upon the ancient temple floor. It's said that on that day, many pagans became Christians. Son of a famous Roman general, Theodosius was born in Spain in 347. Early in his life, he distinguished himself in the military and then retired from public service. In 379, Emperor Gratian called Theodosius out of private life and made him fellow emperor for the East. There he fought the Gothic War so effectively that in 380 he was able to sign a victorious peace treaty with the goths earlier that year stricken so ill that he feared death he sought out the bishop of thessalonica and was baptized although theodosius was raised a christian his baptism in 380 may have been a conversion experience from 381 until his death he was as military as militantly zealous for the apostolic doctrines of the church as he was for the governance of the Empire In 381 and 385, he prohibited sacrifices for divination, effectively stopping all pagan sacrifice throughout the empire, authorized the destruction of some pagan temples or their conversion to Christian churches, and ordered the demolition of all temples in Alexandria following unrest between the Christians and pagans. In 391, he closed temples empire-wide. The next year, he effectively ended Roman paganism by prohibiting private pagan worship threatening harsh punishment to frighten pagans into considering Christianity. From the year of his baptism, Theodosius ordered his subjects to follow that religion which Peter the Apostle transmitted to the Romans. Spiritually allied with Ambrose, the popular bishop of Milan, he fought vigorously against the long-standing heresy of Arianism, which is, anybody? Arianism led to today's, yes, Jehovah's Witnesses which denied the eternal existence of god the son all known arians were expelled from constantinople and arian chapels were closed throughout the east theodosius made one very serious mistake in the summer of 390 a subversive riot broke out in thessalonica and the military commander of the city was murdered Theodosius' desire for revenge led him to order a massacre of the city's inhabitants The innocent along with the guilty. He soon repented of his anger and canceled the order, but too late. 7,000 Thessalonicans lured into the city's stadium by the false promise of a chariot race were slaughtered by Roman troops. Ambrose was horrified. As bishop and friend, he sent a personal but spiritual, uncompromising letter to Theodosius. If the priest does not speak to someone who errs, he wrote, he who errs will die in his sin. Ambrose denied the emperor communion until he truly repented and completed an eight-month period of penance, which is obviously stupid, but Mm -hmm. Theodosius shut himself up in his palace and wept. Finally, he went to Ambrose privately in humble brokenness, pardoned at last and free to enter the sanctuary for worship. He showed his repentance publicly by throwing himself upon the floor, tearing his hair, and crying out loudly to both God and man for the forgiveness of his sin. Doesn't work that way, but Theology takes a while to understand
0: didn't he also say that um, the Gospel that Peter brought to Rome can you read that
1: i don't I don't think I said anything about Peter in here no nope. on January 17 ninety five Theodosius I died. He was the last sovereign of the undivided Roman Empire. He officially arranged that after his death, the East and West would split into permanent empires for his two sons. As a result of his aggressive policies, he left behind a kingdom, swept free of heresy and paganism. I don't think they got the heresy part out, but anyway, Posterity remembers him as Theodosius the Great. And how do you evaluate the life of Theodosius? Was he right or wrong to destroy pagan temples and banish heretics? What were his strengths and weaknesses? Mistakes are part of the human condition, but praise God, there is forgiveness for those showing genuine repentance. There's forgiveness for those who call on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's where forgiveness is. After that, 2 Corinthians five nineteen comes in. You're not being imputed sin. God is not counting men's sins against mm-hmm. them. So a little bit of fault in this one, but eh, hey, the guy did a good job for his age. I could
0: have sworn you said that Peter had brought there, but if he nope. did, then that would be nope. so Catholic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It yeah, no, it does else Peter yeah. preached, and the people that listened probably went to Rome and started the church, not Peter.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. Zeal without knowledge is not good. A person who moves too quickly may go the wrong way. That's Proverbs 19, verse 2. So, um, got that out of the way. And let's see here. We got some. I got so many prayer requests this week that I couldn't keep up with them, but I got several here to read. Uh, Jenny Oxford in South Africa may have a malfunctioning cardiac valve. Cindy and Pat need prayers for pain, especially back pains, need to keep working for their jobs, handling big dogs. Uh, John Holler, who does a Prophecy Update in uh, Indiana, he's got pancreatitis. He's in the hospital right now. Brenda has asked for prayers for Brooke, who's 39 years old, who has colorectal cancer. She has five children, two to nine years old. And uh, they're starting chemo and they say she's got a 50-50 chance. Well, if the Lord wants her healed, she's got a 100% chance. And if not, she will go home to glory. But we pray that uh, for that reason is because the Bible says pray. And we'll pray that it goes favorably for her. But uh, they understand already that God will be glorified through whatever happens. And so there's good, strong faith there. Mark Bachman's dad was rushed to the emergency hospital this morning. He couldn't move. He's extreme high white blood cell count, and he's anemic. And so we want to keep these people in prayer. And I have, uh, might as well say it now, I have a bandana on from Jeff and Mary Zena, which I cannot wear on Sunday, which I normally do because it matches the color of the blue screen. Oh. And so I it would just be completely, have I'd have an head. empty head. There'd be nothing there. So, uh, um do? Well, it's new, exactly. So, uh, uh, I, I, my, and then we also have a couple of people visiting from Minnesota today, which is the Birch, Birches. And uh, oh, we got somebody else. Where are you from?
0: Lancaster, Pennsylvania.
1: Well, what's your name? Hey. Well, we got a Pennsylvania person here. What's that?
0: Um, Wes Miller from Lancaster, Pennsylvania.
1: Wes Miller? Yes. And how did you hear about us?
0: Long story, but. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Rhonda and uh, Rhoda. Rhoda
1: and, and uh, Sergio. Oh, Sergio and Rhoda.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I met them in Israel. I spent some time in <laughs> Israel. <in laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, and God. a friend of mine called me and told me about their YouTube videos. That's amazing because two days earlier, I watched the one that they did at the Dead Sea. Yeah. Seven uh, beaches at Dead Sea, but I didn't recognize them. Oh, wow. Seen them for years, <laughs> wow. And he's telling me about this couple. I go, I know them. Oh, so, wow. Isn't
1: that funny? My goodness. So,
0: through that. Found out about
1: this and went online and- well, hallelujah, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, wonderful, oh, welcome to you, and uh, Sergio's probably, he monitors everything, if you see something going on, that's him, so, uh, yeah, he, uh, he if, if he, and he should be on, he, he'll he send me a hello to you if, uh, if uh, he's on, anyway, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer first, and then we'll get into 1 Corinthians. Heavenly Father, you've heard the prayer requests, which are quite numerous, and many others that are unstated just because of the volume and my forgetfulness, but you do not forget, and you know every person that has asked for prayer, and uh, certainly some of them are very distressing at this time, Lord, then we would ask that you would uh, be gracious in your response to the prayers of many for these people and for others that... uh, uh have gone unnamed and we would ask that you would just according to your great wisdom provide healing provide comfort provide whatever it is that you have determined in your eternal counsel to to uh give them and lord we certainly ask this that you will be glorified no matter what happens and that they will understand the situation and that they will not hold a grudge against you because of it we have human limitations which often have us do that and i would pray that wouldn't be the case. And one more person comes to mind who's still in the hospital now, who we prayed for last week, is Luis down in uh, Mexico. He's uh, still struggling with heart problems and other things, so we would add him in. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come to you, and we also thank you for this class and for the people that have made an effort to come all the way from long distances to join us. It really is truly a blessing. We thank you for that. and We love you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Amen okay we are in one Corinthians chapter 2
0: verse 15 Uh, yeah please the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God for who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except through the Spirit of God we have not received the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we may understand that God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. Mm -hmm. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually concerned. Fifteen, the spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment.
1: Okay, a little different. I'll read it. It says, but he, is spir- he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Same thought, a little differently worded. Okay, here we go. Again, as before, care must be exercised in considering this particular verse. It is not an absolute that everyone who is called on Christ has the ability to judge all things rightly. We saw some verse, I think two verses that we did last week. People take completely out of context and they assume that because they're Christians, all of a sudden they have all knowledge or all understanding. And that's obviously not the case. So we have to keep things in their context. Not every, every in the Bible is an absolute and not all, alls in the Bible are either. There are people that will use that in the sermon, you know, when God says all, he means all. And then you go back and you say, well, it says all Jerusalem was a at the, announcement of Jesus' birth, and then you find out later that not all Jerusalem, in effect, was, but all Jerusalem, meaning the powers, Mm -hmm. or when it says that all people came out to John the Baptist to be baptized, right? And then a couple verses later, or in the other book, I think it's Luke and then Mark, it says that they rejected John's baptism, okay, Mm -hmm. speaking of the spiritual leaders, and so not every, every is every, not all, all's are all. You have to take the context, and you have to say, what is it speaking of? And then you can apply in every or in an all, and you know here's one in Colossians two uh, I don't remember the exact verse, but I was in a Bible study with some Presbyterian minister up in Massachusetts with my dad years ago, and he said he used the term all and he he hung on this one, and he's saying, "Oh God has reconciled all things to himself, so there's no hell, and everybody's going to heaven and all this stuff and I said, you know, if you go down a couple verses, you'll see that it says if there. And if is a very small word, but it has a very big meaning. Yeah. I said, you want to be teaching proper doctrine. I, it just, it's it's inappropriate to say something like that, especially when you call yourself a minister. But there you go. Anyway, not every, every is every, not all, alls are all. There are limiting factors, there are qualifications, et and So,
0: they'll be, And they'll be spoken.
1: And yes, absolutely, they will be spoken of or they will be uh, revealed somewhere else. But the Bible will not contradict itself. And when it says that there is a real hell, guess what? Okay, they're often general statements talking about the every's and all's, which are applied to biblical truths. This is perfectly evident by reading commentaries on any given verse, including this one. The amount of disagreement on what is meant by Paul reflects that certainty that the Holy Spirit does not externally inject us with the knowledge necessary to make right spiritual judgments. That's a huge problem in charismatic churches. What matters is your understanding of the Bible and then properly applying it in its context. If you don't do that, it doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter who you listen to. You will not have proper and sound doctrine. You need to make sure that you understand the Bible, that you read it. You know, I got to tell you, I am just so loving this audio Bible that I listen to. <laughs> I finally, you know, I, I drive a couple minutes a day, so I don't get a lot of time in the car, but I started in August and uh just five minutes a day of driving, except on Saturday when I go down to mission work, I'm up in um where was I today? Philippians. I've been going through Romans and uh one Corinthians, two Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians in the past couple weeks and I'm in it is marvelous listening to it. You just process everything completely differently. After having read the Bible numerous times, you know, done commentaries on the New Testament, now a second time through the New Testament writing commentaries, I still will process completely differently listening to somebody read
0: it. It, through another opening.
1: Completely. It's wonderful. I'm absolutely, but that is what you need to do. You're not going to have, this does not work. I'm going to show you something that does not work when you want to learn scripture. Okay. It's time to go to bed.
0: That doesn't work. I'm sorry. Yeah. Osmosis does not
1: work work when you want to uh, learn scripture. You have to study. And as I say again and again and again, it's hard work. You go home and you're tired. Your brain is frustrated. You know, somebody emailed me about the sermon on Sunday and he said, I've listened to it several times. I'm going to have to listen to it again. And I'm glad he's doing that. There's a lot. Burke and I were talking about it earlier. There are all of those names. And we gave the meaning of each of the names, 12 people and 12 parents. Well, well, There's a reason why they're in there. Maybe not all of the names, but there is a reason why they're listed the way they are. God is being precise. And if you really want to know what is on God's mind, you are going to want to study those things, but it makes you tired. In the end, it is rewarding, okay? I get up tired every day and I go to bed tired every day. But as I say, this is my one life. Use me up, Lord. This is your world. These are your people. And you've given me the chance and the ability to sit at home and, and uh, study and do answer emails and do that. That's where you have me. Someday this may end. I'm a, you know, a rationalist. I'd look at it that the Lord has us here now. There may be a point where we're not here and I'll go back and I'll do wastewater treatment. But this is where the Lord has me and I'm gonna do the very best I can to get that across as far as the sermons, as far as the studies. And that's in no way bragging. That's just simply saying that is my station in life and I understand that okay and everybody should have that mind i have time while i'm driving i have the ability to spend ten or fifteen dollars on an audio bible i might as well use my time doing that instead of something else you know getting angry at the guy that cuts you off <gasps> this week oh <laughs> i can't believe the traffic how bad it is awesome. you know we you, this light right up here where you turn on the gulf gate drive mm-hmm. they're on the outside lane they want to go to publix and he and i work here yesterday and i need to go into the bank but before we even got to that first turnoff, there was a lady never looked, and we were same this close to her, thing. and she turned right into me. If I didn't slam on the brakes, same thing. Yeah, well, we it. It was she driving? Maybe was a Mercedes. <laughs> it, it was a Mercedes, and she never looked. No. She never looked, and I thought, Ew. oh, it, don't get me started. No offense to the people visiting, but it's really <laughs> difficult on us right now. Oh, okay, calm down, Charlie. Um, all right, we'll go on. Um, what is what the whole? I just said. I'll read that last sentence again. It reflects a certainty that the Holy Spirit does not externally inject us with the knowledge necessary to make right spiritual judgments. You must know the Word of God. I'll give you a perfect example of this: is you know, from time to time, you see posted on Facebook somebody that's got one of these um, uh, dietary things that they're promoting. Christian Bible: This is how you're going to live healthy. And I get so angry at those things. But anyway, I I posted on there and I said, Why do you do this? I said, We are free. We are not under law. We are under grace. We can eat anything we want without restriction. And one person said, everything in moderation. And I said, well, show me the verse on that. Uh, I know there's a uh, verse on, don't eat too much honey because it'll make you vomit. And I also know the verses in Proverbs which say, don't drink too much wine. Okay. Other than that, show me that in the Bible because I'd like you to defend why you would say that. These people are making incorrect uh, statements about health, about... Somebody asked to challenge them. Or you get people that are just, oh, I got to start buying this diet, right? You have to know scripture in order to be able to defend things like that that come out. Or everybody's going to be back on the Ezekiel diet. What is it? When eat millet and spelt. And you remember in Ezekiel 4, there's certain thing. This is the bread that God has said that we should be eating. And what does it say right in that passage? It says this is a diet of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Famine. You are going to be eating this because of the famine. This is all you were allowed to eat. So if people took that in the proper context, they wouldn't buy that stuff at all. Anyway, let's go on. What the Holy Spirit does do is give the ability for the first time in our lives to look into the wisdom of God from a spiritual perspective. What once was nonsense and foolishness now is understandable in a different way. Now, that's evident every time that you have, I always pick on them because they are the ones that are easiest to pick on for the benefit on the other side, not on the the first side, but on the other side, Catholics and Jews. Catholics have lots of head knowledge about Christianity. We got about 15 Reformed Catholics in here, right? They understand theology. They understand the Trinity. They understand the deity of Christ. They understand these things, but they've never come to the spiritual understanding of their need for Jesus Christ. And once they get that, all of a sudden they get on fire for the Lord. It happens again and again and again. Okay, the same thing is true with Jews. Jews have all of the traditions. They have all of the cultures. They understand the feasts. They understand what the Passover is. They have no idea why they do it other than their culture. And all of a sudden they say, oh my gosh, Christ is the Passover lamb. And all of that comes live to them. There becomes a spiritual element to what they knew through knowledge, and that is the difference. So Catholics and Jews always, not always, but always seem to make these wonderful Christians because they come out of something that was almost bondage. It was something that they were doing which had no spiritual meaning, and all of a sudden their eyes are lightened up, and they make, in my opinion, very, very sound Christians most of the time. Not always, but most of the time, all right? And then you've got the Episcopals, which are kind of like Catholic light, and you get almost the same Thing from them i grew up in the episcopal church and you know they never gave you the gospel they i got her shaking her head they know they were in church with me when i was this big um but you know you didn't hear that kind of stuff you'd get nice sermons about how jesus loves you and all that but you never got the the spiritual appreciation of what christ really did and all of a sudden when that comes into your mind you you're just like oh it, it's such a breath of fresh air we'll go on Okay, what was once nonsense and foolishness now is understandable in a different way. We may not have, and no one certainly possesses, all the knowledge that is presented in the Bible. But we do have the spiritual ability to learn it in the way in which God intended. Unfortunately, there are many hindrances to right spiritual discernment. Some are. First one is pride. We may have learned something in our biblical schooling, and despite being presented with overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we remain close-minded to the truth, lest we appear to look foolish. Now, I would say, and I've said this before, I would say that that is probably 99% of the reason why people still hold on to replacement theology. It has become so evident since 1948 and 1967 that the church has not replaced (laughs) Israel, that the covenant God made with the the Jewish people especially as it's outlined in Leviticus chapter 26 points so obviously to what God has done in Israel in modern times but pride steps in i was taught this by this great teacher i don't want to let him down i believe this and i don't want to look stupid you know whatever the re- my church teaches you know the the uh Catholic Church, if they were to admit that Israel today actually is what was prophesied in the Bible, they would have to throw out 2,000 years of bad doctrine. It would all have to be thrown out. They can't do that. This is the infallible papal degrees, uh, uh, decrees and all that kind of stuff. And so they just pride steps in. That's one of the great, great hindrances. um, Second one, lack of proper study. The more one reads the Bible and studies it, the more it weaves into a unified whole in our minds. And I would say that a person that reads the Bible without any external influence, without any theological training, without a church telling them what this says, if somebody just picks up the Bible and reads it, and reads it 15 or 20 times, will never be a replacement theologian. It will never happen. that If they pick up the Bible and they read it, And they accept it just as it reads, which is all you need for this particular doctrine. They will never believe that God regenerates you in order to believe. They will say that I have free will. That will be the evident conclusion of a person that reads the Bible. But when they are taught, no, you don't have free will. And somebody says, we'll see this verse here. And they take a few verses out of context. And they place them into a little package. And they say, see, John Calvin says this. And then all of a sudden it becomes, oh, well, maybe I was wrong. All right. If you are willing to read the Bible and just read the Bible without any external influence, you are going to come to certain key doctrinal points. You will always come to the point that Jesus Christ is God. Always. I don't know anybody that would pick up this Bible and read it again and again and again, and then be told Jesus isn't God that would say, that just doesn't sound right. They may eventually say, okay, well, I was wrong because this guy sounds real authoritative and blah, 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 but they would never believe that in and of themselves. Ever the conclusion would be Jesus is God. So there are certain things in there that have to be taught into you. They they cannot be taught. uh, You cannot deduce them from the Bible just by reading it that way. They have to be taught from somebody saying Jesus really isn't God and you've misunderstood that. All right. Third one. Um, Let me read it again. Lack of proper study is two. The more one reads the Bible and studies it, the more it weaves into a unified whole in our minds. We begin to perceive macro and micro structures which are contained throughout its pages. But this is hard, time-consuming, and often tiring work. Three, personal bias. We may have a presupposition about a matter. Dispensationalism as opposed to praetorism. Okay, for example, dispensationalism says, okay, we have, uh, you know, the seven dispensations of time. Praetorism says that all prophecy has been fulfilled in Christ's first advent with this with the exception of his second coming everything else all of the book of revelation is fulfilled there's nothing to look forward to that would be what a praetorist believes okay rc spore was a praetorist okay and so you, you have to think what is he thinking well yeah where does that come from because if you just read the bible you will never come to that conclusion but if you start reading the Bible after being told that revelation is fulfilled and just read it and we'll explain it to you later. They've got that presupposition that may come into effect. Okay. So we have a presupposition about a matter dispensationalism versus praetorism. And we may find it impossible to overcome the mental barrier because of how we perceive God's working in the world. Okay. That is also known as um, what's the term help me out. I, I say it. What's that? Um, you've got a preconception about something oh, and um, uh, what's that?
0: Pretext. Well,
1: yeah, no, no. That pretext is a lie. It's um, uh, cognitive dissonance oh, is okay. what I'm thinking yes. of. Yes. All right. You've got cognitive dissonance and you say, I, uh, 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 you just dismiss something. OK, if somebody says, um, uh, you know, you were taught that Trump is a bad guy and then somebody presents to you information about the president and says, look at the great things he does. The cognitive dissonance says that cannot be correct. And you'll go searching for a reason to prove why it isn't correct. That's you've shut out any possibility of a different answer. That's cognitive dissonance. You're disassociating what is in your mind from what is in reality. Okay. Um, so there you go. Um, four, source of authority bias is our fourth point. We may accept a source of authority concerning our understanding of the Bible which then affects our entire view of how to approach its truths. Okay, here's a classic example. I was talking about it earlier. Roman Catholicism claims that the papacy is the authority on Bible interpretation. Okay, that's what they claim. People hear that and they're taught it for their whole life. They cannot overcome that. It's a source of authority bias. The Catholic Church is the source of authority, and therefore whatever those crazy, you know, Christians, those Protestants teach cannot be true. Okay, because you've got the source of authority. Mel Gibson is like that. I've said this before, is that he says, well, that comes from the chair. You can only be saved from inside the Catholic Church. Well, the chair means the Pope. He sits in the chair. And so he's under the source of authority belief that you must be a Roman Catholic in order to be saved. Okay, now other Catholics won't believe that, but he does. He said it right during an interview one time. Well, it comes from the chair. Okay, or you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They were brought into the Jehovah's Witnesses. They were taught what they say. They are the only true word and nobody else is. That's a source of authority. And they're scared to leave that denomination. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's so many suicides in the Jehovah's Witnesses. is because they have them in bondage. They have them in a bondage which they cannot escape. But if they try to, then they're going to lose their salvation. They're going to lose their place in heaven, whatever it is. And so they're shunned by their own people, etc. Not understanding that that was from the beginning, an incorrect assumption. They have no authority. They're a cult from the beginning. They were never a part of the true church. Mormonism is the same, source of authority uh, bias, okay? So, Roman Catholicism uh, claims the papacy is the authority on Bible interpretation, and if we accept that, then we will follow in lockstep with whatever they say, and you see this all the time. This is true with others as well, including cults. That's why you must have If you are going to have a proper relationship with God, you must have Jesus Christ and him alone as your source of authority, nothing else. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit guided men of God, he guided them to one thing and one thing only, what God would do in Jesus Christ. That's explicitly stated by Jesus in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find eternal life, but they are what speak of me. And then afterward, the apostles did exactly the same thing. The prophets and apostles look forward to Christ. The prophets look forward to Christ. The apostles look back on the work of Christ. But everything points to Jesus Christ. And if you lose that source of authority, as we saw in the Prophecy Update on Sunday, Prophecy Update, uh, the uh, Pope says that we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're to petition Jesus. We're to have Jesus. I'm sorry. He said, Mary. Thank you. Mary. Yeah. Yeah, He said, fix our eyes. I'm thinking Jesus so much that I'm saying what I'm thinking. Okay. He said, we're to speak lies. Yes. Um, But he said, keep, uh, keep your eyes on Mary. Mary is our hope. And Mary is our sweetness. Those three. And I took the three verses out of the Bible, which way precede the Catholic church, that Jesus Christ, one Timothy is our hope. That Jesus Christ is the sweet fragrance to God. That's, I think it was Ephesians. And then Jesus Christ, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 too. So unless you go to the source and unless you understand the source, then you will be predisposed by an authority bias. And you do not want that to happen, okay? But this is what people do. They do it all the time. Another one that we see, and it's all over Christianity today, source authority bias is that guy is a Jew. And therefore, he must know what he's talking about, right? That is completely inappropriate. Most Jews have no idea what scripture says. Even if they live in Israel and they speak Hebrew, it does not mean that they are right with Jesus Christ. We make these these mistakes in our thinking and we get down wrong paths. Mm -hmm. Christ alone. And then from there, you can argue the doctrine back and forth with people. But if you don't have Christ as your center of focus, your authority bias is already skewed and it will continue down that path. Okay? For these and other reasons, our ability to spiritually judge all things may be skewed from what God intends for us to see. And despite this, Paul continues with the thought that one who is able to view the Bible from its proper spiritual perspective, that person is rightly judged, as he says, by no one. The one who has accepted Christ and is viewing Scripture from that perspective is, at least in the overall sense, coming at it from the proper perspective. That is the macro. If a non-believer comes along and attempts to refute their interpretation of the Bible, which is presented from this spiritual perspective, they will obviously be incorrect in their judgment of them. Okay? It's Christ. Start out with Christ. Everything else after that, you build your doctrine. I have no problem with systematic theology. But when somebody says, uh, Charles Ryrie wrote a book on systematic theology, And John Calvin has a book on systematic theology. And R.C. Sproul has written a book on systematic theology. And guess what? All three of them vary on each other. Systematic theology means I am making a systematic evaluation of the theological doctrines found in the Bible. That's systematic theology. And you weave it together saying this is what the Bible is telling us. And that sounds very professional, right? This guy is a doctor of theology. He wrote a book on systematic theology. And guess what? He says that the uh, prophecies in Revelation are already fulfilled. Well, he's smarter than I am, and therefore I'm going to follow him. Once again, you can't trust everybody just because they have a title, just because they have a doctorate degree or whatever. I'm not opposed to education. Some people are completely opposed to it. If you have a degree, they're not going to listen to you. Well, you were trained already in advance, and so you don't know what you're talking about. And I've had people say that, you know. What college did you go to? You tell me, you say, well, I'm not going to listen to you because you have a degree and in theology, and you've been biased by those people. Well, you have no idea where I went. You have no idea what I knew before I went, okay? The only reason why I went to get a degree at the uh, SES up in Charlotte was because I had to in order to be ordained. And it meant a great deal to me to be ordained and to be able to preach the word of God. And so, you know, you can, anybody can get ordained. If you wanna get ordained right now, go online. There's a guy that will sell you an ordination certificate for $25, okay? Anybody That's can true. be ordained as a minister of Jesus Christ. That does not mean that it is a sound ordination. Right. Okay. It meant something to me to be properly ordained in the church that I was at. Okay. And so I got the degree, but that doesn't always mean just because somebody has a degree that they are a specialist. You want to always keep Christ in the center of your theology. And then from there, evaluate what people are saying, listen to different opinions and come to a right conclusion. Okay. How can someone who isn't in Christ judge someone who is in Christ concerning their knowledge of the source of their faith? We see it all the time on social media, but they do it, okay? Meaning the words of the Bible given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which they themselves do not accept. Okay, I've said this, I said it, I think, two weeks ago. There are many, many atheists who are far better trained in the Bible than you will ever be. They have studied the Bible. They know it completely, okay? They're well-trained and they will argue with you, okay? But they're lacking one important point. They're lacking the Holy Spirit to say this is true, okay? And from that, you have to deal with people like that. Just keep that in mind. I'll read that again now. Meaning the words of the Bible given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which they themselves do not accept. They are lacking the most important key of all. I can accept anything, right? or I can disbelieve anything. It doesn't mean that I don't understand it, right? I, uh, I watch football, but I'm not a football fanatic. fanatic, right? Okay, I don't pursue it in the same way that a person that is a fanatic about football does, okay? But I understand what they're talking about. That doesn't mean that I have the edge over them. They understand the nuances. They've been to all of the games. They understand this player's knee is out. All of these different things. They have an understanding that I don't. So who am I to speak against what they know? Well, when you have the Holy Spirit and you have received Christ and you say, I believe this is the word of God, you are in a position they will never be in, no matter how much they know. Okay. But you've got to be careful because they do know very well. They have the knowledge, but they don't have the wisdom. Okay. So let's see here. Um, It would make no sense for that to happen. It would be like an artist arguing with a mathematician about calculations in numbers Because the numbers were the wrong color. Okay, imagine that. It doesn't make any sense. It would make no sense because it is a category mistake. Colors are not numbers. Now they are if you take everything down to digital. Every single thing that you see on your computer, every picture you look at, every document that you read comes down to two numbers. Zero, and zero. and that's right, one and zero. Everything, okay? Now eventually that will change when they have quantum computers developed and there will be four instead of two all right and that'll be a huge giant leap but the uh, or it might even be more than two i think it's four but anyway doesn't matter mm-hmm. it will be a, a completely different way of storing information and accessing information but right now every single thing that you see every picture everything comes down to two digits and how they are arranged so when you see a, a picture that i take of the sunrise every morning you say isn't that beautiful and there's thousands of colors and there's birds and It's all ones and zeros. It's being transmitted to you through your computer. Everything. How does that work? I don't know. But so you could say I'm wrong about this because I say colors and numbers are not the same thing and it's category mistake. Well, I'm talking about the reality of the situation, not what's behind it. Okay. so we'll go on. Uh, The color of a number is written, is irrelevant to the content of the calculation because the substance of what numbers represent has nothing to do with color. And once again, except for when it's being transmitted as information, but I'm talking about what you're dealing with, a color as opposed to a number. Well, that's the wrong number because the color is wrong. It doesn't make any sense. All right, that's what I'm talking about there. Okay, the same is true with the Bible. The substance of the Bible is spiritual in nature. To argue concerning the Bible apart from its spiritual message is a category mistake, and therefore the non-spiritual person cannot judge the spiritual interpretation of God's word. Once again, when we look at the evaluations of the rabbis uh, that are written down, they're written in the Torah, or they're written in Jewish commentaries. I'm sorry, not the Torah, the Talmud, okay? They're written in these Jewish commentaries, and they analyze something about the life of Joshua, or they analyze something about the life of David. They're missing the key point, is that it is about God. It is about Christ and what God is doing in the world through redemptive history. And because of that, their analysis will always be skewed. Now, there are times, and I cited one not too long ago, where they said in that very long passage, it was all just repetition, 12 repetitions of the offerings of the people to um, Moses concerning the uh, offerings for the Levites. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple things I talked about that were different. And all of those passages and the rabbinic commentaries got it right that single letter out of all of those letters you know hundreds and hundreds of letters that made up each passage which is identical there's one single letter and they said that points to messiah and here is how and when they do that they're on the right path they're looking forward to the coming messiah and they understand that but they missed that it's christ that they're speaking of and so they've got a, a deficiency in their theology but at least they understood this is pointing to the coming messiah Very interesting evaluation, so I included it. Normally, I won't. Jewish commentaries usually get off on very, very sad tangents. Okay, life application. Although there are differing views on the meaning and intent of scriptural passages and verses, ultimately, they must be viewed from the spiritual perspective intended by God. Only a person viewing them from such a perspective will be able to rightly deduce the true meaning of the passage. Competence, study, and prayer are needed. We cannot assume that we have pure knowledge of Scripture without much effort and the accompaniment of the Spirit's illumination. Okay, and that's true. When we think of what's going on in Scripture and we read a commentary on, we'll just pick a verse, Ephesians 3, 2, all right? And so we're looking at that and we say, well, I want to know what different scholars have said and they evaluate it and you get four or five or six different commentaries and all of them seem to come at it from a different angle. And some of them are exactly the opposite in their conclusions about it. Even then, you can see these are great men of God. They have their own systematic theology. They've studied the Hebrew, the Greek. They know the intricacies of it. And yet they come to a different conclusion in that passage. And so some of it comes down to simply saying, Lord, I need you to illuminate this for me. I don't understand what's going on between this guy and this guy and why they've come to these different conclusions. And sometimes it comes down to exactly that prayer. You just say, Lord, I'm asking you to reveal this to me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get to work. And three days later, you're thinking about it. And all of a sudden the answer comes, I understand why John Gill was wrong in this one. And I understand why John Lang was right. Now I get it, Lord. And You know, you ask, what what does it say about asking for wisdom? Yeah, asked for it, and he's going to give it. He's going to provide that wisdom. Okay, what is that, James 1? James. Okay, anyway, there you go. Um, 216.
0: Well, before I say that, I know this statement will be meaningless, but when I see you do the sermons and stuff, I do not want to be in your shoes.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. What shoes? Yeah, oh, you know, oh, I got you. Oh, I don't want to be in your shoes. Well, Sergio, he, he gave me kind of a, 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 a sideways compliment when he was here a year ago he, he i had to go up to washington was that a year ago he, yeah it was may God. so yeah oh, in may. but uh okay. it, yeah so almost a full year but he said um he uh, i said would you be willing to do the sermon while you're here because mm-hmm. they were coming anyway and he said oh yeah and then when he got here he told me he said i don't want to do this anymore like I it, it, yeah it, it 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 takes a lot to put yeah, a, a sermon okay. together it, it does and so he uh I remember that you Everybody. oh that they was know great he was, they know he was doing. no they didn't oh, yeah. and you know i here yeah. i was i was my uh God. i was uh on the plane yeah. watching on my ipad and here's sergio wearing my shirt and he's got a fake beard on and he kept <laughs> his head down so you were the funniest of all of them <laughs> hey 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 he says and you hi hi charlie i think you said you walk in you're over here you're doing something and you're talking to him like and then you go in the back room and rhoda oh, comes oh, out oh, and yes. you flipped out oh, oh my God. that was That's very so very so well done that was a very well done morning. Sergio had that so perfect. That was very well done. Watching
0: everybody else come in and be. Surprised.
1: Oh, everybody! Everybody got it, but you were the first, and you were the best. Oh no God. doubt about it. Thanks. Yeah, it was. He it got was. Me. Yeah, I didn't. He did. Okay, here we go. Let's go to um, 16. sixteen. For
0: who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's it. But no. No, we have the mind of Christ. There you go. Okay.
1: For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Once again, same as last week, I came in, it was 70. If you're hot and you want the air on, oh. tell Burke no. and he knows how to turn it on. But oh. I can't tell. Once I get, it doesn't matter if it was 30 degrees in here, I'd still be hot. So um, uh, I can't tell. But if you get hot and you get sleepy, just go have Burke turn on the air. Okay. So um, let's see here in 2.16 and Isaiah 40. The Lord puts forth a series of rhetorical questions for us to consider. Paul uses the thought of Isaiah 40, verse 13, to close out this chapter of 1 Corinthians. We're just now finishing our second chapter with this, and uh, Isaiah 40, let's see here, 39 and 40. And then in verse 13, he says, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has ta- or as his counselor has taught him? Okay, I'll read a couple more that he gives. Verse 14, with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Okay, the answer is that no one can know the thoughts of the Lord unless he reveals them to us. As he said in verse 11, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Because no one can know the things of God unless God reveals them to us, Then without him doing so, we are left with the most important questions of all, unanswered and unknowable. Further, because he is God, and thus the source of all wisdom, no one can instruct him. He alone is the bearer of all wisdom and knowledge. That wisdom and knowledge which we possess is only that which has been made available through his creation of which we are a part. Or, I'll get into it a little bit later, there is the second special revelation. God has specifically revealed something that we couldn't even deduce from creation. We talked about that last week. That would be in line with Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, which says, Burke,
0: sacred things belong to the Lord. Those that are revealed belong to us and our children forever.
1: forever. There you go. Therefore, there is an infinite gap between the two unless the Spirit of God reveals his mind to us. And he has done so through the person and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament is revealed in him so that by the Spirit of God, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. In other words, Paul is tying the Lord Jehovah directly to the person of Jesus. They are one. Everybody understand that? I don't know how the Jehovah's Witnesses can make and come to the conclusions that they do. They have to deny Scripture, and if you want absolute verification of this, you go to Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Again and again, the things that the Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament does are directly ascribed to being Jesus, directly. There's no way that you can come to any other conclusion that he is Jehovah incarnate. There's no way, unless you simply deny it, as we talked about in those four points earlier, okay? The Lord Jehovah of the Old Testament is revealed in him so that by the Spirit of God we have the mind of Christ. Okay? Because the Spirit of God is spoken through the prophets and apostles whose words are now provided in the Bible and because we have received Christ and understand that the Bible is speaking of God's work in him the mystery is revealed. We have the mind of Christ. The People's New Testament sums up chapter 2 this way. Here's what they say. Two thoughts are learned from this chapter. One, There is a divine wisdom or philosophy. And two, this divine wisdom or mystery is an absurdity or perplexity to the world, but the wisdom of God to the saints. Very well said. It should be repeated that though we have the mind of Christ, this doesn't mean we automatically have all of it in its fullness. Once again, that's what we talked about last week. That's what we talked about a little bit 15 minutes ago. It means that it is available to us. It is up to each one of us to study, to contemplate, and meditate on the Word of God. Once again, meditate in the sense of meditating on Scripture, not meditating like a Zen Buddhist. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, watch last week's and you'll understand. Okay, God's revelation to us isn't with a spiritual hypodermic needle. It doesn't work that way. We don't go to the Bible, pull stuff out, inject it, and it's done. Okay. Once again, and also, osmosis does not work. It is the Bible. This is where our instruction is to be derived from. If you're not willing to do the hard work, if you're not willing to study the Bible or sit in Bible studies, you're not going to know what Scripture wants for you. Okay? I say it every single week almost in the Prophecy Update. If you're watching 50 Prophecy Updates and you're not reading your Bible, studying your Bible, or watching sermons that will edify you from the Bible, you will never grow in Christ. You will be edified zero in your life. 100% zero. Zero. I don't care if you watch every prophecy update that was ever put out, you will learn nothing about theology. Okay? That's not what their intent is. Their intent is to sensationalize things, right. to get you to be angry at the world or whatever other reason they have. Mine had there was one reason why I did the prophecy update, and you all know this. There's only one reason why we do that prophecy update every week is because The guy that does the website for him, he said, you need to do a prophecy update. And I said, I don't want to do it. I said, I'll talk about prophecy all day long, but I am not going to do it. And he says, it'll get people watching your sermons. And I said, I'll do it. And so every week, it takes me about 60 hours just to do that prophecy update. It's for the sole purpose of getting people to want to learn the word of God. When he said that, I said, it's worth the time. It'll be worth the challenge. And so that's what we do. It's very tiring. He to go knows. I don't uh, read the articles on Mondays because that's sermon typing day. But I usually read about five, maybe five hours of articles every day. Okay. And I'm so tired after doing that by nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. I have to lay down for 15 minutes because my head is just overwhelmed. I I literally am overwhelmed. And so I lay down for 15 minutes and I feel refreshed again enough to get up and do other things. But it's a lot of work doing those proxy updates for edifying no one, no one. But it gets people into the Word of God, and every time somebody sends me an email and says, "I appreciate your mm-hmm. sermons," but I started out in the prophecy updates. I say, "Well, then it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth it." Okay, that that is why we do the prophecy updates here. It's not to get a lot of numbers on YouTube, and obviously not because every time I mention yeah. doctrine, I lose subscribers oh. every <laughs> single time. And every really? week I try to introduce doctrine. I try just to you know something about King James Onlyism. Boy, you'll lose 4,000 subscribers in a single day with that one. I don't care. I'm not here to tickle people's ears. I'm here to tell people that there is a proper way of interpreting God's word. And it ain't that way. Okay, whatever. Okay, so um, it should be repeated that we, let me go down and read this one more time. The end of the uh, thing that I just read. Um, Because we have received Christ and understand that the Bible is speaking of God's work in him. The mystery is revealed. We have the mind of Christ. Okay, and then I said the people's New Testament, there are two points. It should be repeated that though we have the mind of Christ, this doesn't mean we automatically have all of its fullness. It means it's available to us, okay? One other point of note concerning chapter 2 is that Paul began it by highlighting his ministry as one which proclaimed Christ and him crucified. It wasn't with elegant words to woo his audience, nor was it with persuasive words It was in direct and simple language, which accurately and responsibly handled God's word. Let each preacher of the Bible put away the frills and the fluff and focus on God's word. Okay, and then I included something from William Cowper here. It's called The Task. He wrote it in 1785. Would I describe a preacher? I would express him simple, grave, sincere, in doctrine, uncorrupt, in language, plain, and plain in manner, decent, solemn, chaste. And natural in jester, much impressed. Himself is conscious of his awful charge and anxious mainly that the flock he feeds may feel it too. Affectionate in look and tender in address, as well becomes a messenger of grace to guilty men. Life application To have the mind of Christ is to know Christ, but to have it in its fullness is to know the word which speaks of him. Know your Bible. Verse 3 1.
0: Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ.
1: Okay, well, that's close. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ. Just a little different. Paul is referring back to the words of the previous chapter where he is comparing, comparing natural to spiritual. In verse 214, he said, It is important. Oh, in two, verse 214, and then I left it off. In verse 214, he said, The man uh, without the spirit does yes. not
0: accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned.
1: Yes. Okay, it's important to understand that there is a difference between the word natural, which is the Greek word psychikos, and the word carnal in this verse. It is the Greek word sarkinos. Okay, psichikos, what does that sound like? Psychic, okay, or your psyche. And then sarkikos, the word sarkos in Greek is flesh, okay? The first word natural is not one applied to Christians, regardless of their spiritual maturity. It is a person who has never received Christ and is unregenerate. Instead of speaking of this, when speaking of the Corinthians, he uses a word which indicates a lack of spiritual maturity in Christ, but not a lack of a spiritual nature. Everybody understand that? You can have a spiritual nature and have no spiritual maturity at all, okay? Or you can be very smart and have no spiritual nature, okay? But he is not equating spiritual nature with spiritual maturity. There are people that have come to Christ and have not grown in Christ one bit, okay? So he's making a distinction here. They have not developed in their walk and remain no more than spiritual babes. This state of immaturity is well described by the author of Hebrews. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He doesn't deny that he has a spiritual nature, but he denies that they have spiritual maturity. He goes on, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. It took us about four and a half or five pages just to analyze those verses in the past couple months. And this is how Paul now speaks to those in Corinth. He says, and I, that's Paul's introduction to the coming rebuke, based on his previous words concerning spiritual matters. Brethren indicates that Paul is writing to the body of saved believers. Therefore, they all have a spiritual nature. Okay, this is a very important point to understand because by the time he gets to chapter 5, which I implore everybody to read all the time, it's only this long. Mm -hmm. And it gives you so much doctrine about eternal salvation that you can't believe that one teeny little chapter, and then you tie it in with the same terminology that he uses elsewhere, with some people that are actually said to have shipwrecked their faith, and he uses the same terminology. Salvation is eternal, okay? Going on, this is a very important point to understand, because of the time he gets to chapter 5, there will be a brother who is conducting his affairs in such an inappropriate manner that he will actually advise the body to deliver such a one to Satan For the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So just because you hand somebody over to Satan does not mean that that person is being handed over to Satan spiritually. He's being handed over to him, the world of Satan, for the destruction of the flesh. This person doesn't want to learn his lesson. He wants to keep drinking until he's drunk every night. Let him go. Get him out of the congregation. He will drink himself under Satan's rule, but he will not lose his salvation. Same thing with the sexually immoral person, which is exactly what he talks about there. He never questions the person's salvation. He never says he's going to lose his salvation, and instead, instead he says exactly the opposite. He says, that person is going to suffer in this life, but God will save him. His spirit on the day of Christ Jesus. And he will stand before the Lord and get no rewards at all. He will have everything burned up as by fire, but he will be saved. Okay, that's 2 Corinthians 3, I believe. It says, um, Paul's words in times like this. And in a host of other instances indicate the eternality of salvation. One cannot lose what has been bestowed by the grace of God. If they could, then it was never by the grace of God. If I can do something to lose my salvation at any point in my salvation, then it was never by grace in the first place. It was always by my works and my effort. It cannot be that I can lose my salvation and it be by grace through faith. It cannot be. Okay, think it through. Logically, it is impossible. Plus, it contradicts all of other, Paul's other writings. Okay, so he goes on and it says, um, one cannot lose their salvation, which has been bestowed by the grace of God, but they can lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is hoping to impart spiritual instruction to these immature believers so that they will grow mature and be found acceptable in their walk with Christ. Though these are brethren, he says to them that he could not speak to you as spiritual people. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, though they are brethren, saved by the blood of Christ, he was unable to impart to them anything beyond the first milk of their spiritual meal. Okay. Where am I going to go with this? Anybody knows where I'm going to go with it? Unfortunately, unfortunately, this is a chronic condition oh in many. Gosh. I mean, the, the the world of Christianity is filled with this. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I'm not being judgmental on these people. It's heartbreaking. It's literally heartbreaking that somebody is not willing to apply themselves to the greatest. What you said this past Sunday was absolutely perfect as far as that's concerned. It is the greatest gift that we will ever receive in our life. He was given a giant gift by a family member and he's still grateful for it enough to say in a pulpit what it was and how much it meant to him. And yet people will sit down and not say a thing about Jesus Christ they will not pursue Jesus Christ. They will not learn the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And yet they got something infinitely more than he got from his relative.
0: Right.
1: Infinitely more. And we're not willing to simply go over and get a track that doesn't cost us anything. Hand it out to somebody, even if they don't know who you are. You know, you know, oh, I'm embarrassed to give them a track. We'll put it inside of the thing, close it up and leave really quickly if you're that embarrassed. But it doesn't take any effort to at least try at least try to tell people about Christ and especially to learn about Christ. we got all of this life in front of us and we can sit in front of the TV and watch five hours of movies a day, sit on the computer. I was reading an article this morning, which will not make the prophecy update. Who cares? I think they said that children today have an average of six hours and I think it was 14 minutes of time on the Internet every day now. Six hours. And I guarantee you zero of that is Pursuing Christ, yeah. it it just is. You're you're doing this back and forth, and you know whatever. Nothing wrong with being on the internet. Nothing wrong with watching movies. I watch a movie every night with Edico. Last night we got through I think fifteen minutes of Hang 'em High. <laughs> OK, that's all the time we have. And then we get into, you know, finishing up the day after dinner. But I love Clint Eastwood. I really oh, do. It's a Western oh, yeah. I, I really love Clint Eastwood. So, um, yeah, so hang him bad? high. It, it was a good one. Anyway, um, so and that's what we do. We'll get through that in four or five days and we'll get on to something else. But, um, uh, you know, probably my favorite movie of all time, which has nothing to do with this study. But I just really like Clint Eastwood. I love The Outlaw, Josie Wales. I, I yeah. love that movie. It, it is, there are more good lo- one liners from that movie than probably any movie in the world. It, very good one liners, but that's not the intent of the movie. This is like you, these movies where a person is redeemed. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it really it, it doesn't touch on Christ in any way, shape, or form, but you, you can see the redemption of the man in it. And he went through something bad, and his life just gets mm-hmm. to a point, and then it's it just a good movie. If you have a chance, watch it. Anyway. Um, Let's see here, um, we'll go on. Unfortunately, where was I? This is a chronic condition in many. There's a little desire to ever be weaned off the basics and to dig deeper into spiritual matters. What is all the more saddening is that in our modern world, we have the Bible available at our fingertips at any given moment, and yet we find it too much effort to pick it up, study it, and mature in our faith. Literally, I can do, and I was thinking this today when I was doing one of my uh, things. I can do now for my sermons okay i was practicing my sermon that's what it was it was this morning practicing this sermon here and i i, I got an idea and i thought i need to check that out and i write it in if i do so it will be in yours because i print it off tomorrow and i'll send it to you tomorrow so that will be in there sometimes i do something and i think of it on saturday and then you're like what's he talking about but um uh I, I i thought you know i need to check this out and so what do i do i go after i finish practicing my sermon and i use my fingertips And I'm able to access 2,000 years worth of information that would have taken, Charles Ellicott will say, it would have taken him four books and he'd have to be penning back and forth and it would have taken him an hour and a half to do what I can do in 10 seconds, literally. And plus I have his comments on it as well. And all the other people that were his contemporaries and they're writing these things, I have all of that available to me right there, right now. And then I don't just have that, I can go and I can access it in the Hebrew. Where they have to have another book for the Hebrew, and then I can have it parsed in the Hebrew, so I know all of the parsing of it of the entire verse right there. Whereas they would have to think, well, what did they say about that in in school? And maybe they've forgotten right. what that verb stem is. Okay, and, ah, it's not a common verb stem, and what I have all of that available to me right there, right now, and it is such a tragedy that we don't take advantage of that. Yeah. It is an absolute tragedy that I one thing I do. When I type the sermon at the end of it, you know, you get the, the sermon passage at the beginning of the sermon. Well, it's okay. always at the end of mine. So on Friday, I have to put it up there where it belongs for you guys. But I keep it in there. And then when I save it in my file, okay, now think of this. When I first downloaded a Bible years ago, they said, well, you can get the Bible online. I'm like, what? I downloaded it. All of that came into my computer. In two or three minutes it was through one of those old phone lines what did we call that, that? The, um, uh, I, I can't remember the term but the you know uh landline what yeah landline, <laughs> what? landline. landline. Yeah, landline. but there's a term they used dial up. Uh, dial up and then there's something a type of communication now we have wi-fi and we've got it was anyway t100 it was anyway um so but i did it and now i can download the entire bible in seconds. I mean, literally in seconds. And each time I save my sermon, I've got that portion of it. And so I've got the entire book of Genesis in with my sermons. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've got the entire book of Exodus in with my sermons. And as I do them, the whole portion is there. So suppose they were to take all of the Bible, uh, uh, sites offline. They don't want the Bible anymore on the internet. I still got them in my sermons, Mm -hmm. right? And Here's something that you probably don't know about. I'll finish this in just a second. You probably don't know this, but the early church people say, well, those texts aren't reliable. We don't know if we really have the word of God or not. Okay, and they, they argue this. Well, we have 5,686 Greek texts. That was when I was in college. There's more now that they have found. Okay, and they they agree in large percentage on these texts. Okay, so we have all those texts. And then we have the Latin copy of the Bible which is goes way, way back, the Latin Vulgate. Okay, so we, we have that. And we've got all of these other versions, ancient versions. But if you were to lose all of that, all of those translations were to be taken away from you, we still have 14,000 lectionaries. They are comments on the Bible, which contain every single verse of the New Testament, minus 11 verses. So we could construct the entire New Testament just based on lectionaries. Okay, there is no need to wonder if we have a sure word. And not only do we have it, we have all of that available to us. Mm -hmm. Now, it's astonishing to think how we throw away our heritage watching TV. No, let's go on. Life application. Um, Spiritual maturity can only come through spiritual growth. Spiritual growth can only come through proper instruction in the tools available to the student. And the main tool that we have for spiritual growth and understanding is... Right here, that's right. Logic, philosophy, and so on are only effective for spiritual growth if they are combined with the understanding of the nature of God revealed in the Bible. Apart from this, they are ineffective for spiritual maturity. All things must be brought back to harmony with the word of God for spiritual growth to occur. Anything else is just rationalizing things, thinking through things, philosophizing things but they do not help in your spiritual maturity. Apart from the word of God, it may be interesting. It may be really cool to think those things through, but it does not help you in spiritual growth. And that is the most important growth that you can have, spiritual growth.
0: 3-2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready.
1: Okay, very close. I'm not going to read it. Verse 3-2. In the preceding verse, Paul said to the Corinthians that he had to speak to them as babes in Christ. This makes his comment in verse 2 understandable. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. It's a metaphor for his speech to them. Because they were uneducated in the things of Christ, he spoke to them about the elementary tenets of the faith. Babies don't come out of the womb and start chewing on steak. Instead, they require milk in order to develop. Eventually, through growth, they can start nibbling on pieces of bread or a bit of rice. As teeth develop, they can start to chew on tougher foods, like meat. This is also how we should develop spiritually, a little bit at a time. Unfortunately, those in Corinth stayed in a state of infancy and failed to move to adolescence and beyond. Paul tells them that they were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. Again, the writer of Hebrews provides a parallel thought to this in Hebrews chapter 6. Here's what he says. Hebrews chapter 6. He says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And we will... Do if God permits. Okay. Here the author of Hebrews cites all of these as elementary principles. They are things that even the novice in Christianity should be able to explain competently. Can you all explain the things I just read? Doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands and all that? So those are elementary principles. Paul writing to the Corinthians found that they were unable to handle even these basic principles and so he was obliged to continue to feed them milk, not meat. In chapter 14, he will relate to them the state of their infancy when explaining to them about speaking in tongues. They were using tongues in church the way many churches still do today. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says this to them, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. In the coming verse, Paul will give a list of other areas where the Corinthians were weak. By reviewing those things, we will see a congregation that still had one foot in the outside world. They were carnal and they were lacking Christian maturity. 2,000 years later, the faith is still full of such people. Not because there are so many new believers, but because so many don't take time to faithfully read and study their Bibles. When they do, they continue to forget the context of the passage and only disorder results in their biblical understanding. Context is king. Prescriptive, descriptive, context, context, context. What is the context? All right, through Paul's hand, God is showing us how to keep this from occurring. Life application. Go back and read the list of elementary principles. That's Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3 noted above by the author of Hebrews. Ask yourself if you can rightly explain each of them and why you believe them. If not, take extra time to learn them in a way that solidifies your understanding of them. 3-3.
0: You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men?
1: Okay, this one uses the word carnal instead. For you are still carnal. It means in the flesh, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? This verse explains the comments of the preceding verse very clearly. Paul just stated, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you still are not able. He notes that they are still carnal, which indicates that though they are saved, they are immature believers who are living in the flesh more than under the influence of the Spirit. Okay, before I go on, I listen today to all of the book of Galatians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. I hate to pick favorites, okay, because I love every book. And when I think of that book, I say, God, that's my favorite book, Lord. I just, you know, so I do have favorites, but Galatians and Hebrews are really, really precious to me. Okay, Romans is too, but Galatians and Hebrews, are on a completely different level in my mind for some reason. And I listened to Galatians. I had to go all the way out to the end of B Ridge. So I was in the car much longer than normal today. And as I was reading it, I'm thinking.
0: I'm listening.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, listening, thank you. Um, correct me any time because I do that all the time. I'm thinking one thing and uh, okay. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, um, so I, uh, I uh, am listening to it. And we have this Hebrew Roots Movement. I bring it up all the time. And that is the exact one-for-one equivalent of what Paul would call the Judaizers back then, the people that were introducing the law. And if you listen to Galatians or you read it and you honestly look at it at what he says about Peter in that passage, which is exactly what we're speaking about here. Peter was unspiritual at the time. He was lacking his spiritual eyes. He backed off. It says right there very clearly, you used to eat with the Gentiles and then you backed off when the Jews came. Okay, Peter was completely in the wrong. It is so clear. Nobody could come to a different conclusion about what Galatians is saying. Nobody, if they simply read it. And yet I will have people email me and I will cite those verses to them from Galatians and they'll they'll come up on some tangent, which is absolutely incredible. It's as if Paul didn't say anything in there. They just ignore it. Let me tell you something. Reintroducing the law could not. Let me read you what the consequences of it are before we go on, because this deals exactly with that. What is spiritual and what are you going to accept? I'm going to read you the consequence. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to read the part about Peter. I'm going to read you simply what Paul says. And then this is how he explains it using Peter first as the example. And then he says at the end of the book, he says that. Um, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, Christ profits you nothing nothing nothing, nothing at all. And he says further that if you allow your self to be circumcised, you are a debtor to the entire law there 's no doubt what the consequences are, but here 's what he says about that to start off his talk in one six he says "I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Seven, which is not another, it's not another gospel at all. It's a different gospel. It's not another. He goes on and he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed, anathema. And believe it or not, we're going to see that in an upcoming sermon. In about three more chapters, we're going to see that predicted or prophesied, or I'd say predicted in picture, in a sermon that's coming up very soon. Exactly what is said here is relayed to us in Numbers chapter 16, okay? So get ready for that sermon it is right there but that is the repercussions of following a false gospel following the hebrew roots movement you were a cursed now that doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation if you're saved but if you're not you will never come to a saving knowledge following that path never okay and if you do and you are then you will lose all of your rewards in the process because christ profits you nothing all right there you go so now we can read this with that in mind to explain what he means He then provides three, we got a couple minutes, he provides three specific examples of their carnality. One, there is envy, he says. When someone possesses something that another desires in an unhealthy way, it causes them to resent the one who possesses that thing. Be it physical attributes such as beauty, which I have, strength, which I have, hair color, I'm starting to lose that, and so on. Be it a tangible possession such as jewelry, clothing, etc., It can also involve positions of power, social standing, and so on. That is why I, there's a couple reasons why I don't ever watch other people's proxy updates, ever. I don't want to know, one, how many people they have watching them. Two, I don't want to steal their ideas. That's the main idea. I don't ever want to copy somebody. I do my proxy update because that's just the way that I think that it's laid out in categories. I don't know if anybody else does that. I have no idea. I don't want to know. Okay, but I don't want this to happen. I don't want there to be envy in my life towards somebody that I actually respect. Right. John Haller, for example, he's up there and he's got pancreatitis. I don't want to watch his updates because I don't want to envy what he's doing. Okay, we'll go on. Whatever leads one to be envious of another is unhealthy, and this will surely lead to strife. In the case of the church, envy can lead to a whole host of problems, which include both of the other two examples Paul mentions next to strife. This involves infighting and contention. It is an outward demonstration of people unwilling to live in harmony with each other. Proverbs speaks about strife in great detail. I mean, great detail. One example is the cause of it in Proverbs 16, 28, which I'll take you to there right now. 21, 20, 18, 17, and 16. He says in 28, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Another proverb shows its effect, but also provides a remedy. That's Proverbs 17, verse 14. That says, the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore, here's the remedy. Stop contention before a quarrel starts. If you feel you're getting hot, get away from it. Okay? My friends, that I, I love them. As a matter of fact, I posted her on my uh Facebook page today. We've been Facebook friends for 10 years as of today. Whoopee. I've known her since we were six years old. We went oh, to first wow. grade together, Miss Walston's class, okay? Who always used to say, wash your clothes. I hated that. She added an R into everything. Anyway, okay, but um, they will be on Facebook, and they'll be poking around, and they say to each other, I got dragged in. They'll They'll see a post, and they'll make a comment, and then they get into a strife, and she will say to her husband, I got dragged in, you know, you don't intend to stop it before it starts and you won't. Okay. That's the best way to do it. Otherwise, it's just like releasing of water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Strife, (laughs) studying strife in the book of Proverbs is a recommended tool for churches such as those at Corinth and the Superior Word and anywhere else Mm -hmm. who are still living in a carnal manner. If you want to have strife, don't do it in church. Okay. And don't do it at all. It's (laughs) best to just not have strife. And the third is divisions. Paul spoke In chapter 1 about some of the divisions he was aware of at Corinth. Thus, his note to them about being carnal is supported by what he has already said. Divisions, if not resolved, will naturally lead to people quitting the church, completely separating the church into smaller bodies, or a host of other sad situations. It takes care, prayer, and wisdom to overcome them. And because of these things occurring right there in the church, it demonstrated that they weren't living by the spirit. I'll give you a perfect example of this is one of my favorite guys. I loved him while he was alive. He and I watched him every single week. He's over in uh, Fort Lauderdale is uh, D. James Kennedy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Covenant Presbyterian. What was it? Something Presbyterian Church. Anyway, he's over there. What? He, He was a wonderful guy. And, you know, his sermons were like five minutes long, and he always talked about America, how great it was, or, uh, you know, he talked about Benjamin Franklin or Lincoln, or he talked about abortion a lot. So he he wasn't very deep theologically during his sermons, but he always had a good and always felt good when you were done with them. But he had this great congregation, wonderful music. I mean, they had the best bell players in the world, okay? They had the giant organ that filled the whole back of the church, everything you could want. Okay, he also started a, a seminary over there and he had a creation thing going, all these things going on. He died and the family argued over the church. It was divided. The thing, oh, it, wow. just typical, That's right? So One guy leaves and the church can't get along. Okay, that is not a healthy congregation. Yeah. You would think it was when he was alive, but if it's being held together by D. James Kennedy, right. it is going to fail. It has to be focused on Jesus Christ yeah. or it will fail. That's all there is to it. Okay. That's a perfect example. Because when I read that, I was heartbroken. I was literally heartbroken when I heard about what was going on in that church. It it, it just, it destroyed me. So anyway, um, let me read this again. Yeah. um, Because of these things occurring right there in the church, it demonstrated they weren't living by the spirit. And so Paul asks rhetorically, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The answer is yes. Instead of living in the spirit and relying on the wisdom of God, they were living in the flesh and failing to pursue what was right and appropriate for holy living within the body. All right. That we have to have Christ as our head and we have to keep those things, the envy, the strife, and the divisions out. All right. If not, you are going to have a church that suffers. And not just the church because people make up a church and people are human beings that don't want to suffer. They don't want to. Have sleepless nights. I couldn't sleep for three weeks because of what happened. Listen, I, it broke my heart. I got enough time before I give you my life application. One of my friends emailed me. I don't want to give his full name. I'll just call him Tom, okay? he's He's been very kind to this church over the past years, okay? And he has been attending a Episcopal church, okay? And he said it has been going downhill. And finally, he left this past week because of something that they did and it it just is too left-wing for him now and he said i am going to miss communion because that's where you have fellowship especially with christ you have communion okay he said that and he's here's what bothered me the most and it's been on my mind all week he said i haven't slept well since this happened he chose to leave a church because it's turned into a typical Episcopal church. They get these people, these infections, and they put them in key places, and the church devol- dissolves, and then they put him in a higher position, and they have completely destroyed a once great denomination where people really followed Christ, okay? Our first presidents were Episcopals, many of them. It was a great denomination. If you disagree with the doctrine, big deal. I disagree with R.C. Sproul on much of his doctrine, and I still appreciate R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Don't lose the sight of what is going on in the big picture for your small little pet peeves. But that is what bothered me the most about this poor guy is that he has lost sleep over something. It wasn't even his fault. It's because they took their eyes off of Christ and they want to destroy the message of Jesus Christ. So life application. Are you spending your time and energy within the church as a part of the problem or as a part of the solution? Paul identifies those things which are disruptive And then he explains how to properly conduct oneself along with Proverbs and all of the lessons we can learn from the books of wisdom. Read those. They're not prescriptive. They're not descriptive. They simply provide wisdom. Okay. Without reading and applying Paul's epistles to our lives, we will inevitably find ourselves being a part of the problem. That's what's happened in the Episcopal Church. They have completely left anything to do with Paul years ago, and that is the inevitable result is that you have a church which is no longer effective in getting the message of Christ out. So, sad stuff. Don't mean to be so downer, but Paul wrote it. All we can do is analyze it. And, you know, when when things are cheery and fun or when they're very hard to analyze and you think, what is he saying? And you start breaking it down, especially the book of Hebrews. We're going through it and there are things in there that are so insightful. But you have to take the bad with the good. And when Paul rebukes somebody, who is he actually rebuking? Us. We're the church. This is an example of any given church at any given time that is not focused on Jesus Christ. That's how it is. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, you know one more person I need to pray for tonight that uh, is going to have operation soon is Mike. I would ask that you would take good care of him during his operation and give him health and strength during that and uh, uh, your will be done in that Lord and all of the other people we mentioned earlier. And certainly in our own lives, because we are all part of a church that is failing in one way or another if we are a part of it. And so correct us, and those problems of the church will also be corrected through us. So help that to be the case, Lord. Help us to be responsible with our walk before you to redeem the time and to use it wisely and to, yes, enjoy our lives that you've given us. That would be something that Solomon recommends. But he also recommends, certainly in the last chapter of that book of Ecclesiastes, that We are to follow you and to heed your commands because this is the whole duty of man. And let it be our whole duty as well. And we pray this that you will be glorified through our lives and through our study of you and our interaction with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.